Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea, the podcast that rummages around the hoarder's basement of the global political system and pulls out the insightful gems hidden way at the back. Each episode will be working alphabetically through different countries' politics so you can show off to your friends and maybe gain a slightly better understanding of just how those countries work. Next up, on the east coast of South America, and with a population of 45 million and functioning as a presidential democracy, is Argentina. On October 27, 2019, Alberto Fernandez was elected president of Argentina. He beat off his rival and then current president, Mauricio Macri, who, rarely for an Argentinian president, did not achieve a second term. But for many people, the person really running the country would be the newly elected vice president and former president herself, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, no relation of the current president. Ms. Fernandez ran the country for eight years before Mr. Macri took power on a wave of frustration at the economic collapse that many Argentinians blamed on her. But he failed to do so, and so now she's back in an ever slightly less public role. Though corruption charges continue to dog her time in office, as they have done so many Argentine governments. To see how we got here, and in order to dive a little bit deeper into this, and the current political climate of Argentina, I'll be speaking to the political scientist Thomas Varnagy of Buenos Aires University, But in order to get a little bit of a better understanding of Argentina, I'm first joined on the show by Ernesto Calvo, Professor of Government and Politics at Maryland University. Ernesto, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So most people know that Argentinians speak Spanish, and this is obviously from their history as a Spanish colony from 1530 to 1810. But could you tell us a little bit more about this? So Argentina was not really relevant for Spain. We had no gold, no silver, nothing that was interesting. But wait, I thought the name Argentina comes from the Latin word for silver. It does, but oddly enough, that's because the river that is in front of Buenos Aires that goes up is called Rio de la Plata, River of Silver. And that's because of the reflection of the sun on the river. Uh, So uh, Argentina from Argent, from Plata, from Silver, is actually for the river and not because we had any sort of minerals. Right, okay. Everything that was important for Argentina was that it was a road to Peru. And therefore, if you see the map of Argentina, you're going to see that Argentina is all squares outside of the diagonal that connects Buenos Aires to Peru. Right, of course. Because Peru was also a big Spanish colony at this time, but with a lot more gold. So Argentina is kind of just used as a big coastline to make trading easier with Spain. So investment must have been pretty minimal. It's an administrative viceroyalty that is very small compared to anything else that the Spaniards have done. Right, okay. So what brings an end to this situation? So um, there is a couple of things that happen. Uh, I mean, the first is, you know, Napoleon invades Spain and and Portugal. The the royal family of Portugal goes to to Brazil and set shops, so the monarchy moves to Brazil, but the Spanish royal family goes to the south of Spain. So basically the entire Americas have no royal family in charge. And that gives the excuse for independence. That's why from Mexico all the way to Argentina, they become independent at the same time. Wow. So you get this wave of independence because of something that happened on the other side of the world. Then what happens? So Argentina suddenly becomes independent after 1810, and it's very sparsely populated. And that means only you know, 250,000, 300,000. Whoa, 
That's such a small population for such a huge country. How did they get more people in the end? Um, a republic is, is formed. So in 1850s, Argentina develops a, con a constitution after a couple of strongmen. And in that constitution, one of the most significant leaders of the middle of the 19th century, Sarmiento, says in order to grow, in order to be a country, we need to populate. So beginning in the 1850s, Argentina embarks on a, on a very active politics of expanding immigration and growing the population of Argentina. It does so in a very racist mode. So the population that is encouraged is, of course, a population that is coming from Europe. And it, the immigration is going to be particularly intense from all the south of Europe, particularly Italy and Spain. And therefore, you can have this combination in which you have Italians, Spaniards, a lot of people from north uh, of Europe, and the population that preceded Argentina, including Afro-Argentines and Pueblos Originarios. So the, the, the society is, is very mixed. That's incredible. I had no idea. This must have had a huge impact on language and culture and everything, really. So it's absolutely mixed. So, for example, our slang, when we, when we speak slang in Argentina, it's called lunfardo. It's actually mostly Italian. You know, the tango is packed with those terms and they're much more Italian. But even with all these people coming in, you're talking about a country two-thirds the size of the U.S., but with only a couple of million people. That's not enough, right? So from the 1910s on, Argentina's uh, income starts to decline. So despite the early success of the country, the initial decline really starts in the 1910s. But then the country is further battered by the two world wars and the financial crash of 1929. And this leads to huge political instability that just makes things worse, right? Of course, the period of 1940s to 1980s, where you have significant stability and coup d'etats, what they produce is significant loss of, of capital and significant loss of human resources, because you're basically changing the loss every few years and the economy is in disarray. But mostly in the beginning, you still had a very stable republic with a, a, a very clear elite that has been in charge from the 1850s all the way to 1930. And still, by 1910, you, you start to see the slowdown of the agro-producer system and the loss of income that is going to end up with a coup d'etat in 1930. But didn't Argentina have a solid democracy by this point to weather this kind of instability? Yes. So, so as I was saying, you know, in the 1850s, the old republic sets up shop in Argentina, you know, a new constitution, and every six years you have a new president. And, and you know, it's, it's a regular democratic republic with a, a very narrow elite that is dominating politics. It's not as democratic as you would expect, although you know, it's not all that different from any democracy in the world at the time. And there's alternation of the elites until by the time that you have the expansion of immigration and the population in Argentina rapidly incorporates these new immigrants, a more popular party emerges, which is the Radical Party, which was naturally radical. It, it just took that name. It was a civic radical party. And, and that party is the, the equivalent to the early Peronists, but rather than incorporating workers, it incorporates the middle classes and the first generation of daughters and sons of immigrants. So this expansion begins to upset the elite-dominated order of things. Exactly. Although it was led by a faction of the old elites, it does incorporate a significant number of voters and, and it increases participation. And there's a huge electoral reform in 1912 that makes the vote secret and compulsory. Argentina has had compulsory voting through most of its democratic history. 
So with the electoral reform of 1912, the radicals come to power. That produces huge stress in the elite because there's pressure to redistribute the assets that are heavily concentrated in a few families. And the elite is extremely disgruntled. And when the crisis of 1928 hits and prices drop for all agricultural commodities, the elites carries a coup d'etat with the support of the military. And the first military coup happens in Argentina in 1930. And that's really when things go south. And notice you're going to have a coup d'etat in 1930, another one in 1943, that's 13 years, another one in 1955, that's 12 years, another one in 1966, that's 11 years, and another one in 1976, that's 10 years. So what you're seeing is, you know, the instability that is speeding up, and we are really going to get out of that in 1983. So from from 1930 to 1983, what you have is, is massive instability. Wow, that's an incredible amount of instability. And this leads to Peronism. Could you please explain what that is to people? So Peron comes to power first as, as part of a small military coup that is uh, taking down what was very undemocratic and, and failed to some extent democratic system of elections that were imposed with a restriction that the radicals could not govern. So this group of military stages a coup d'etat in 43 and takes power. And Peron is part of the coup. And he becomes eventually within a year the vice president and asks for gaining control of the of the labor equivalent to a, a labor uh, secretary. From there, he's going to coordinate the labor movement and he's going to give critical things to the labor movement that were not available in Argentina. The eight-hour workday and the you know Sunday where your your Sundays is for you. You don't have to work. The severance payment when you're fired. So all these social benefits that increase the cloud of the workers and their salaries and their standing in society. That, of course, just as with the radicals, produces huge stress on the elites. So the elites are extremely divided. The militaries try to take out Perón. That's insane. But the country is completely polarized. Half of the country considers him the worst thing that happened to Argentina ever. Half of the country considers him the best thing that happened to Argentina ever. Wow, that's incredible. But this popular support for Peronism actually leads to an even greater backlash from the military, doesn't it? They decide that it's not enough to just get him out of power. They're going to finish the entire party and they're going to do it for good. So Peronism is banned and you can't even say the name Peron. Is called the the, the profugal, you know, the runaway tyrant, and of course that generates huge instability because Bernie means ban, but he has a majority of the vote. So any time that you go for elections, like in '58, whoever wins is not a Pernis, but he wins with the support of a Pernis. Wow, what eventually leads to their end? By the time you reach 1976, the military decide that not only they're going to ban Peronism, that's no longer an option, they're going to kill the leadership of the party and they're going to kill all the leftists. So you have the most brutal military regime in 76 that not only kidnaps, tortures, kills 30,000 people, but also uh, that sends to the exile, to exile in, in all countries of region, uh, over a quarter million people, including my family. By 1982, the military regime is in huge crisis. 
they tried to invade the Malvinas, the Falklands, in order to stay in power. The Falklands crisis began on March the 18th, when a group of Argentine scrap metal dealers raised the Argentine flag on South Georgia. Weeks later, on April the 2nd, Argentina's president, General Galtieri, announced his forces had invaded the Falklands. And as they are defeated militarily, they do the worst gamble they could. They knew that Peronism could never be defeated, so they make an alliance with the Peronism and they say, um, we are not going to prevent you from competing elections and winning, but you have to give us uh, immunity once you win the election. And for the first time ever, the Peronists lose the election. The radicals uh, step into power with the mandate of prosecuting the military for the crimes that have been committed. And the commission, the Never Again Commission, is created. And Argentina, for you know, finally, is able to set footing on a true democratic grounds and brings the military to justice. And then we only have economic issues. You know, everything's going south on the economy, but at least democratic uh, stability is guaranteed. Yeah, at least there is that now. But it's no surprise that with all those ups and downs, there are economic issues to this day. Thanks so much for your time, Ernesto. To help pick up where Argentina is now, we're joined by Thomas Farnegy, who teaches politics at Buenos Aires University. Thomas, we've just been hearing about how all of this continued instability of the 20th century has led to so many political and economic issues for Argentina. But could you talk about how that manifests itself in the country today? You know, in the 19, uh, 1970s, we only had 4 or 5% poor people. Now we have 42% poor people. Wow, that's a huge increase. So Argentina has just not really kept pace with the economic development of much of the world. And this is almost throwing the mass immigration of the country in the late 1800s and early 1900s into reverse, right? Thousands of young people are leaving Argentina to other countries. Is it just politics that's driving this? Yes, of course, it's politics which lead, lead to this. And in my opinion, uh, mostly there are two things that are uh, important in Argentine politics. Unfortunately, one of them is corruption and the other one is inequality. You know, in the 1970s, we had the same inequality rate than Denmark. Wow, Denmark, of course. The two must be so linked as well, right? But why is this the case, given the system's obvious similarities with the US in terms of a president, two chambers of Congress, and a judiciary? In theory, the judiciary power is independent of the executive and legislature, but they are prone to go to where politics go. Right. So the judiciary isn't as independent as it should be. In the intro, we kind of touched on the political ups and downs this has led to. But could you chat us through the current political climate? Well, we had uh, since 2003, we had the Kirchner family in government. And it's very interesting. Now we have a president which is called Alberto Fernandez. And the interesting thing is that Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, Cristina was president twice and she lost the election with Macri. Macri, which introduced neoliberal policies in Argentina from 2015 to 2019. And the interesting thing is that Cristina was the one who announced that Fernandez would be the candidate for president and that she would run for vice president alongside him. It's the first time in history that a vice president chooses a president. Last year, Alberto Fernandez never thought he could become Argentina's next president. He was a rival of former President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. And even though he was her husband, Nestor Kirchner's chief of staff, he was also a fierce critic of her time in office. Now, Alberto and Cristina, 
as people call them, have put their differences aside. Wow, that is really strange. And today many people are saying that Alberto Fernandez, the president, is just a puppet of Cristina. Yeah, of course. That doesn't give Fernandez the best reputation then. And there is a lot of controversies with Alberto Fernandez, critics, he keeps a chronic recession, he cannot create, well, he didn't pay the foreign debitors, the foreign creditors, and we are one of the world champions, as I told you, of inflation. I, I think we are second after Venezuela. Wow, that really isn't the kind of championship you want to win. But can you give us a bit more of a background on Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner? Nestor Kirchner was president after we had a big crisis in 2001, 2002, and there was a serious economic, social, political situation at that time. He made some economic achievements. He restored the living and minimum wages. And Nestor Kirchner also had a, an active human rights policy. Right. And Christina? In 2007, his wife, Christina Kirchner, was the one elected for the presidency with 45% of the vote. And Christina continued with the policy carried out by Nestor Kirchner, and she took several measures with profound reforms. And the most important were the restoration of the pension funds that have been privatized. But during Christina, there was starting the, a strong opposition movement, which was called anti-K, because K, Christina Kirchner. And you know, in 2010, Nestor Kirchner died. And next year, there were elections in 2011, and Christina won the election, reaching 54% of the vote. In 2011, what Christina did was take other important measures, such as the renationalization of the oil company, the Argentine oil company. So Christina and her husband enacted a lot of socialist or Peronist policies, like expanding welfare and renationalizing private industries, which seemed to make her popular, but also caused huge economic issues for Argentina. But there were other issues as well, right? She has lots of legal charges, and one of those was concerned to the sale of dollar futures at a very low price near the term of her office. About a million dollars of her assets were frozen by, by judiciary powers. Wow, a million dollars. And this sits amongst other corruption charges as well, right? How is it that she's even gotten back into power? So in Argentina, right now, there is, well, not, not right now, for the past years, there is a big crack between those who support Cristina and Kirchnerismo and those who are against. And it's more or less 50-50, more or less 50-50. So uh, there have been families which do not talk each other. There have been divorces because you are in in favor of Cristina or you are against. So this is a, a, a really a big, big issue. Of course. I'm sure some of our American audiences would really resonate with that in relation to Donald Trump. But some of the other politicians aren't so clean either, right? Like former President Macri. With Macri also, we have controversy. There are criminal cases. Macri was tried in various criminal cases, and he was denounced in 144 cases. The Panama Papers, holdouts, memorandum with Qatar, bribing judges, eolic parks, money laundering, well, lots, lots of things, accusations against Macri too. So unfortunately, we have the two options and the two options, the neoliberal or the Peronist, which are full of corruption problems. Wow. So it's a pretty difficult choice for Argentine voters then. And there aren't really a lot of options to choose from, right? 
there are no other political parties, maybe the, the, the radical party, but now it's associated with Macri, so they are more or less in favor of neoliberal policies. And the left support Christina Kirchner. So there are a few different parties, but most have at least some kind of association with Peronism. And many of the different options are either corrupt or have really failed to deliver any kind of results for Argentina. I think that's a solid summary to leave people with. Well, as you might know, we try and finish every episode by asking our guests what a unique holiday or festival or event is from each particular country. Could you provide us the one for Argentina? The big event here is football. It's more than a sport. It's practically a religion. Even there is a, a church, a Maradonian, Maradona, the best player in the world in his time, there is a Maradonian church. And Argentines are passionate about their teams and players. And you have to watch a game because people shunt rocket flares. You, you can see rockets on the sky and banners swaying in the wind. And it's, the Argentines are sport fanatic. And after the victories in 1978 and 1986, the World War championship, streets were flooded with people celebrating the championship, making it impossible not to become part of the celebration. I mean, I love football, but I wouldn't say I'm that football crazy. Well, I think that's the perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guests, Ernesto Calvo and Thomas Farnaghi. Join us next time, where we'll be exploring the small Middle Eastern nation of Armenia. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else that you want to know about Argentina or any other country. See you next time. And remember to keep asking how my country works.